Friday, everybody. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. DG still out spreading holiday cheer. Scott Hamilton in the house for the next three hours today and a three-hour window on Monday as we close out not only 2019, but this decade from 2010 to 2019. What do you call it, the 2010s? If not, I'm going to call it that. We're going to trademark it. Darren Vaught behind the glass. And Christmas has come and gone. New Year's, it's approaching. But we are in the most fabulous time of the year, bowl season. Bowl season underway officially started, at least in my mind, earlier this week because I dig the group of five teams. I'm down when Central Florida is playing. I'm down, of course, when App State's out playing bowl games. But we got some ACC teams now going bowling and got the uh, military bowl underway right now. North Carolina and Temple has just kicked off. Temple's got the ball starting on its own 24-yard line. We'll keep you abreast of that situation. We've got Brent Wilkerson new from SI Maven's Tar Heel website. He's going to join us at halftime and give us the lay of the land in lovely Annapolis, Maryland, my favorite place to go to a bowl game, and we'll discuss that later on in this broadcast. 320 New York Yankee Stadium, pinstripe bowl. And Darren, notice, I don't call it the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. I don't call it the Northrop Grumman Warmonger Military Bowl. No, sponsors don't make it into my show. DG's out of the house. It is my show today, so no sponsors for bowl games except the Cheez-It Bowl. I don't know what else to call it. Right, otherwise it's just the bowl. Just the bowl. Pinstripe Bowl, New York City. Wake Forest. Michigan State, Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a bowl powerhouse now under Dave Clawson, who has done miraculous things in Winston-Salem to not only revive that program, but make that program thrive. Wake Forest, always a possibility to beat anybody, anywhere, anytime under Dave Clawson. We'll see if that trend holds true with Michigan State. Six and six Michigan State, not world beaters. Not world beaters, but still a Big Ten team and something you can put on your resume as he continues to develop things in Winston-Salem. Michigan State, three-and-a-half-point favorites. That's a 320 kickoff. Now, tonight, here's a couple of interesting bowl games. No ACC teams, though, until tomorrow, and we'll get to that shortly. The Texas Bowl, number 25, Oklahoma State, with the Arkansas Waterfall coaching, Mike Gundy, the best mullet perhaps on, on the planet, and our buddy Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. That's a 645 kickoff, A&M four-and-a-half-point favorites. The Holiday Bowl in lovely San Diego. Southern Cal and Coach Clay Helton. Yes, Coach Clay Helton. He's still got a job. He's still the head man at USC, taking on Iowa. 8 o'clock on FS1. Hawkeyes, two-and-a-half-point favorites. And then tonight, the Cheez-It Bowl. The cheese the bowl The Bowl. We'll call it, I, I like Cheez-It Bowl. I'm going to go with that. And this is perhaps the most interesting clash of personalities amongst the bowl games this year. 10-2 Air Force, discipline, ground-oriented attack, triple option, clock management, all that against a pirate, Mike Leach. 6-6 six six, Washington State. Air Force, two-and-a-half-point favorites, 10-15 kickoff on ESPN, and then, of course, the college football playoff tomorrow, as well as the Cotton Bowl and the Camping World Bowl. I have to use that sponsor name, I guess, as well. Camping Camping Bowl? Was that, I mean, that's the problem with completely eliminating 
the sponsors' names from the bowls. Sometimes the bowl is just the blank bowl. So, you know, like the uh, what was the Independence Bowl yesterday? It's the Walk-Ons Independence oh, Bowl. You don't oh. have to include Walk-Ons. No, I'm going to because Miami looked like a bunch of Walk-Ons. <laughs> In that, and, I, and, and Darren, correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe, sitting in this very chair at this very time last year, that I went on a tirade about the name of that bowl game. I think so. I, I because up, walk-ons is not the only thing in the 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 precursor to the bowl name. Well, it's not just it's a walk-on. If I'm a D1 scholarship athlete, I don't want to go play in a walk-on bowl. That's like being Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft. Yeah, you're still drafted into the NFL, and that's cool and all. But you're Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, you're playing in a bowl game, but, dude, you're in a walk-on bowl. You're, you're Scrub City. And that's what Miami looked like yesterday. 14-0. 14-0, the Miami Hurricanes lost to Louisiana Tech. 14-0. No, a goose egg for the Canes. 227 total yards. 74 yards rushing. And here's what's really concerning. 2.6 yards an attempt. I can fall forward literally for two yards. They only got 2.6 yards in attempt. Concerning, Darren. I, that, that, that's, that's the, this is a team. This is a program that has not one but two ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries. They rushed for 74 yards against Louisiana Tech into walk-ons independence ball. I, I don't understand where this program is at. Finished six and seven under first-year coach Manny Diaz. Six and seven, and guess what? This is not an anomaly. It is the third time since 1997 that this program, that again, has not one but two ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries, finished under 500. What is what has Miami brought to the ACC since it came to King John Swafford's conference with such you know pomp and circumstance and this lofty standard that they had established while they were dominating college football in the 80s and 90s? What have they given us? One division title, no ACC championship since joining in 2004, none. And the divisions, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, were created so that we would have conference championship games that had the U versus FSU. Hasn't happened. Hasn't happened. Miami's in the coastal, Florida State's in the Atlantic, so that they could eventually, ultimately, inevitably meet in the title game. Has not happened. The best thing we've gotten out of Miami since they joined the ACC was Mark Rick showing us how to cut a sandwich. By far. Now he's not even there. He And by the way, Mark Rick on the ACC network, gold. He is so chill. I don't think he knows he's on television. I truly, truly don't. He's just so, he's, he's all laid back. And if this were television, you'd see what I'm doing. He's all laid back and he's just, you know, yeah, like he knows a secret. He knows, he knows he's getting paid some big bucks just to sit there and hang out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Mark Rick. But I digress. Now, there was a bit of rumbling coming into this game as to the future of Manny Diaz. Again, the aforementioned first-year head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. But by all accounts, his job is safe. Now, the loss of, a, rather, the, uh, the future of the offensive coordinator, Dan Enos. Eh, not good, Dino. Not good. This guy, was, this guy came from Alabama 
to be the offensive coordinator at Miami. He was the offensive coordinator, handed the keys to the Alabama Crimson Tide and Tua. And he vanished in the night like the Tonga Vailoa. Yes, Tonga that I know guy. We're avoiding saying the last Tonga name. Vi- Tonga Vailoa. Tonga Vailoa. Vailoa. Tua. Yeah. So he, that's right. Just two is fine. It's we got three hours of knows. this. We got three hours of this. Tua. We'll live with Tua. So Dan Enos, he he becomes the offensive coordinator of Alabama when Mike Loxley left to go to Maryland. He had been a quarterback's coach, and he got promoted. Okay, dude, that is a life-altering opportunity. I am not exaggerating. That is not hyperbole. That is a life-altering opportunity. So he's been handed the keys to this Ferrari, and all you have to do is not screw it up. Don't screw it up. Stick to the Saban way of doing things, the Saban method, which is, in a lot of ways, the Belichick method, which, in a lot of ways, is the Bill Parcells method. Just don't screw it up, and you're going to be a head coach. You're going to get a head coaching job. He's 50 years old. He, it's The time is right. Four days after the Tide, blown out by Clemson last year in the national title game, King Nick Saban, he's having his regular staff meeting, and he starts looking around. Where's Dan? Where's Dan? Well, you know, the other staffers, eh, they, they knew what was up. Dan Enos had split Tuscaloosa. It was already in Miami. He vanished in the night like the Baltimore Colts. His office had a pencil on the desk. That was the only thing left in his office. And they go, well, maybe he moved into Loxley's old office since he's been named offensive coordinator. Nope. This stuff was packed up, headed to Florida. He had a great opportunity. He, he turned this down to go to Miami, and now he's probably going to get fired. What's next for this guy? Where does he end up? Does, is he a head coaching candidate now? I don't think so, because this is a team that rests for 2.6 yards an attempt against Louisiana Tech. And, and we wonder why the ACC has such a, uh, how should I put it delicately, Darren, not so good reputation in college football circles. Why Clemson has to say it's disrespected over and over and over. Because it's playing the likes of these guys. I don't think they actually played this year, but you get my point. We got Andrea Adelson of ESPN coming up in about 20 minutes. I'm going to get her take on this and get her take on Pittsburgh scrapping out a 34 to 30 win over Eastern Michigan in the Quick Lane Bowl. Again, I had to use the sponsor there, but I'm okay with it in that instance because Darren, did you see the coaches' uniforms, the coaching outfits? Yeah, they. They looked like they were going to change my oil, rotate my tires, and maybe put in some uh, windshield wiper fluid. And I was good with it. They had the little name tags. <laughs> if they had a squeegee, dude, if they had a squeegee, I would go and get so much Eastern Michigan gear. It's crazy. Would I am you, good Would you wear, that. like, the full body suit, Eastern Michigan? <laughs> as would. if you were, like, in a pit crew? Would you wear that? that that's, you know, that's cool. They did look like a pit crew. They looked like they came off the set of Stroker Ace, actually. <laughs> Had the little uh, trucker hat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Stroker Ace. When Burt Reynolds died last year, I ordered Stroker Ace on Amazon. I had to watch it. I couldn't find Cannonball Run. You cannot purchase Cannonball Run anywhere. I don't know what happened with it. Dom DeLuise got all the copies or what. I can't I find it. That. And a part two, you can find. Part one, nowhere to be found. If anybody has a copy of uh, Cannonball Run, please hit me up on Twitter <laughs> at Scott H4456. I love Cannonball Run, but I'm getting off topic. 
that we could do a whole show <laughs> on, on the filmography do. of Burt Reynolds. <laughs> I, I kid you not. We'll even talk City Heat. Burt, uh, again, played football at Florida State. Let's come full circle. Yeah, with, there we go. With Lee Corso. ACC time. Sort of. and, Andrea Adelson joining us at 1232 to talk a little college football. NFL regular season wrapping up on Sunday. 12-3 and Saints at our 5-10 and Carolina Panthers. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. New Orleans, 13-point favorites. Why the heck not? Panthers have lost seven in a row, but, but still reason to watch. From the Panthers' perspective, Christian McCaffrey. He's got a lot of records just laying out there for him to seize. 155 yards. That's all he needs rushing to set the franchise record. D'Angelo Williams has that, by the way, 1,515 yards. 93 more yards, and he will more than Cleveland's Nick Chubb, and he'll become the first Panther to win the rushing title, okay? He needs 67 yards. Now, this is the one that impresses me. 67 yards receiving, and he'll become only the third player ever with 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving in the same season. Roger Craig, 1985, Mr. High Knees with the 49ers, and then Marshall Falk, the greatest show on turf, 1999. He's got an opportunity to set the record for most yards from scrimmage. He's got an opportunity. Now, here we go. This is some rare air. If he gets a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown, he will become the fourth player ever to have 15 rushing touchdowns and five receiving touchdowns, joining Amon Green, 2003, with the Packers, Marshall Falk, again, the Rams, 2000, and OJ, 1975, the Juice. I don't, I don't equate Christian McCaffrey with the Juice too much, but that's, that's a good opportunity, I guess, to diversify and get into a whole other area with a former Heisman Trophy winner and uh, accused murderer, but that's another topic for another day <laughs> as well. What do the Saints have going for them? Well, the Saints have a lot laid out for them. A Saints win paired with a Seattle win versus the 49ers up in Washington and a Packers loss at Detroit and New Orleans will get the number one seed overall and have home field advantage for the second straight year. So they're going to come out guns a blazing. Guns a-blazing. And an interesting bit of news popping up on social media today, and we're going we're gonna to investigate this throughout the program. Antonio Brown, the mer mercurial, would that be a good way to describe him? Mercurial or just troubled or pain in the rear end? I, how would you describe him? Uh, talented. Yeah, all of the above. All of the above. He tweets out a photograph of a, uh, it's like a contract or a, a, some kind of like waiver for him to work out as a free agent for the Saints. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, when I think of organizations that would claim a player with um, Antonio Brown's colorful past, not, and not that distant past either, past year. Are you talking about his blue mustache? Uh, ah, touche. <laughs> I see what you did there. Very well done. Or the blue tips. Was it the tips in his in the, his braided hair? I kind of like that. He had like the Hollywood Hogan mustache. <laughs> he bleached it. That's what he did. It was the Hollywood Hogan stash. All that I'm cool with, man, because Dennis Rodman it had a sure. little Dennis Rodman with yeah. him. Yeah. But when you get when you wash out with the Raiders, you got problems. And the 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 Patriots they don't put up with nonsense. And when all that. All those other accusations began to appear. They washed their hands of him very quickly. And he has said that he wished he had done better. He's not admitted to anything, but he wished he had behaved better, blah, blah, blah. Now, here are the Saints 
going into the final week of the regular season, running like a finely tuned machine, the best receiver in the league in Michael Thomas, Drew Brees running on all cylinders, and here they are bringing this guy in for a workout. Now, what does that tell you, Darren Vaught? What, what does that tell you, the idea that they are even considering bringing this guy in? Well, I mean, Thomas is currently a little banged up. They expect it's no big deal and that he's going to be okay. So th they need wide receiver help otherwise anyway. But to bring in Brown, I don't know why you would do it now if you're not thinking – Let's plug him in for a playoff run. All in. All in. And if you're willing to go to those extremes to be all in, is that it for Drew Brees? There have been rumblings, whispers, conjecture, speculation, any word you want to use with regards to his future. Could he be done after this year? And they're going, hey, here's all our chips and let's go borrow some more and get, get a Super Bowl title. He's definitely done if they win the whole thing. Put me down on record as saying that. If the Saints win the Super Bowl, we're not going to see Drew Brees in again. You know, next time we see him is going into the Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor, they got down there, whatever, opening a Popeyes. I don't know. That's, not, that's the next time we're going to see Drew Brees. I think it's very telling. And, you know, and we're talking about that, and that's, a, again, a division rival, NFC South, but also some rumblings that maybe not as much change as we anticipated in Atlanta. The Falcons have put together a nice little run here. Dan Quinn, may, maybe his job is safe. They're saying he might coach his way back for another year. Arthur Blank, a very prudent man. He's not going to pull the trigger just for the sake of pulling the trigger. Also, uh, what's his name? Thomas Romanoff, Dimitrioff, whatever, the, the general manager guy. They're saying he might be safe as well. So we'll see. That team hasn't been the same since it blew that lead to New, or or New, New England rather in the Super Bowl. They, they haven't. They've got PTSD or something going on. They are shell-shocked from what happened in the Super Bowl. Gosh, that's been almost three years ago. Two years ago? When was that? Three years ago. Wow. They haven't been the same since. We'll explore that throughout the program. And, and we're also going to explore this. And this, this troubles me to no end. And, Darren, you're a baseball guy. You're a big-time baseball guy. Your work with uh, Team USA and all that stuff – legendary you are the voice of american baseball chill you should do pretty good though <laughs> thank you yeah very good podcast by the way here's a here's your opportunity for a shameless plug there you go covering the bases you can find it anywhere you consume your your podcast yeah it is the really official podcast of usa baseball we put out a new episode on monday chill <laughs> that, that was well done now it's an excellent <laughs> podcast but it, there, there's there's a plan that has been proposed for contraction in minor league baseball. 42, 42 minor league baseball teams to be wiped off the planet. And we're talking South Atlantic League. We're talking Appal the entire Appalachian League. Gone. Gone. There are two teams in one county in West Virginia. Been there forever. Cal Ripken Jr. played there. Going to be gone. The Burlington Royals on the list. Mike Wolf, he has operated the Burlington Royals. And if you ever get an opportunity, look at Miles Wolf's resume. It is unbelievable. He was Sporting News AA Executive of the Year at one point. He's been general manager at all these different levels. He's a Navy vet. He was a play-by-play -play guy. This guy has done everything in the world of baseball. Actually named by one organization one of the seven top 75, I think, most important people in the history of baseball. 
This guy is legitimate. He's going to join us 2.30. And I'm going to ask him, first of all, what are the odds of this happening? What can be done to keep it from happening? And what do we do if it does happen? How can we keep baseball, not only in Burlington, but all these other communities that have become accustomed to having a team for a lot of these places this is their primary source of entertainment their primary outlet when it comes to socializing and family fun minor league baseball is a good time dude it's affordable it's entertaining as all get out the actual baseball is probably secondary no it is secondary you go for the show you go for the dollar hot dogs you go to see a guy get shot out of a cannon in the bottom of the fifth inning it's great, and we are blessed here in North Carolina to have such quality minor league baseball from the coast to the mountains, and that's part of why I think we'll never have major league baseball here. We have such an abundance of good minor league teams with good facilities, not just good facilities. We have facilities that are 21st century quality. We have others who are so historical that they have their own unique charm. We don't need major league baseball here. But we do need to keep these minor league teams, including the Burlington Royals. What can we do to keep that around, to keep this thing from happening? We'll ask Miles Wolf at 2.30. And it's also a free-for-all Friday. We're going to have your calls, 1-800-849-2761. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. We're just getting started. Roy Williams, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Tar Heels on the board. 7-0. It's a military ball. Sam Howell hit Diami Brown. 39-yard touchdown. There's 6.24 to go in the first quarter. Again, Brent Wilkerson, new of uh, Sports Illustrated's Tar Heel Maven, joining us at halftime. Give us the lay of the land for that in Annapolis. And, well, and we talked about it coming into the show and it has come to fruition. Miami has indeed fired its offensive coordinator, Dan Enos. Hit the bricks. He's gone. Miami had a bad year, man. I mean, it's just a bad year. And I keep talking about it, but I can't, I guess I can't say it enough. This is a program that has had not one, but two ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries. And it's so bad down there for them that the athletic director of Miami, Blake James, sent out a statement at 11.37 last night, and he said it was a disappointing finish to a season that fell well below the high standards of the University of Miami football program. He does offer up support for Manny Diaz, but, quote, clearly changes are necessary and expected. Well, there's one of them right there, the OC hitting the bricks. Who will he get to replace that? And what's next for Dan Enos? I, I, I have to think that he's questioning all his career decisions right now. Didn't work out quite the way he thought it would in Coral Gables. We'll see if our guest agrees. She covers college football for ESPN. Andrea Adelson, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Thanks for having me back on. Well, it's always a pleasure. And 
I have to know before we get into the main topic at hand, how was Christmas at the Adelson home? Oh, well, I hope my kids were happy with their gifts, although you never quite know uh, with the expression on their faces, but uh, it was a happy time. We had some family over and just uh, thankful for all of our blessings and uh, to be able to celebrate it together. Thanks for asking. See, see, Darren, I'm a kind, thoughtful host. I want to know what they did (laughs) on the holidays. Now I want to know what Andrea thinks about uh, everything happening at Miami. Dan Enos, he's, uh, he's on the unemployment line now. Well, this was supposed to be the new Miami, and that's the way that Manny Diaz coined it when he took over for Mark Rick, but it's really more of the same. Uh, Just extremely disappointing to see what's happened down there uh, in the last two years. I mean, remember, this was a team that started out 10-0 in 2017 and was number two in the college football playoff ranking to see what happened this year, losing the two Conference USA teams, not being able to score in a bowl game and thinking you had all the answers when you brought in Danny Nose, and oh, by the way, Ohio State transfer quarterback Tate Martell, you felt like you got it set, and Miami is exactly where they were a year ago today. No offensive coordinator and no quarterback, uh, and that has been the issue for this program. And now Manny Diaz has to figure out not only where he's going to get a coordinator from, but how he's going to convince that coordinator to come to Miami uh, when there is no starting quarterback. Miami has no quarterback on the roster right now that they feel good enough uh, to be able to lead this team. And that is an issue, and it's going to continue to be an issue until they can get that figured out. And, Andrea, I apologize if I seem like a prisoner of the moment, but this is something that I've speculated on for some time. And correct me if I'm wrong. Feel free to share your thoughts. I I don't ever see Miami being Miami again. The landscape is just so different now in Florida from, from top to bottom than it was in the 1980s, 1990s, or even 15 years ago. You've still got Florida State. You've still got Florida. But now you have this monster being developed in Orlando in Central Florida. You have Florida Atlantic. You have FIU that beat the U. I, I just think there are two many things going on in the state for the University of Miami, the state of Miami, as Schnellenberger used to call it, to to go back to its former glory. Well, and not only that, but now you have schools from across the country coming into South Florida to take the elite of the elite. And if you're one of the best prospects in South Florida, are you going to go play at Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State? Are you going to stay home at Miami, a program that hasn't been relevant since the early 2000s? So I think we all know the answer to that. And that's been a huge problem for Miami as well. The fact that they just don't have the ownership of South Florida in recruiting the way that they did in the 1980s and 1990s when Miami was the absolute place to be. Not only that, when you look at the resources, a lot of those top-tier elite programs have developed, not just the facilities, because Miami has made massive improvements there, but in terms of support staff, coaching staff, what they pay for assistance, what they pay for the head coaches, Miami still trails in that area compared to Florida or Florida State and obviously Clemson, which are the schools that you are trying to compete with to win national championships. And so as that gap continues to grow Miami gets left further and further behind and I don't really think there's any bigger indictment of the coaching staff and a lack of player development in college than looking at the number of NFL players Miami has produced over the last decade off of teams that were bad in the ACC that should tell you completely that there has been a failure not just from the head coach but also in the assistants that he has hired because they haven't been able to develop 
clearly talented players who have gone on to play in the NFL to be able to win at Miami. So it's a long-range issue. Um, I tend to agree with you that landscape is completely different now than it was in the 1980s and 1990s. And I was talking with some folks here in, in Phoenix. I'm in uh, Arizona for the Clemson-Ohio State game. If you could pick anybody who'd be the perfect fit for Miami right now, it's hard to even – come up with a list uh, because it is such a difficult job to be able to wrap your hands around given the other circumstances that are affecting the program. You know, I I know he would never admit it, but have you ever gotten a sense or even a hint that perhaps John Swafford had a little bit of buyer's remorse? With taking Miami into the ACC? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, if Miami is able to get things turned around, same thing with Florida State, um, then you're talking about the ACC sitting in great shape with Clemson, Florida State, and Miami. We've already seen Florida State do that in the ACC. It's obviously been a great disappointment uh, that Miami has not been at the level that it was when it joined the league uh, in 2003 or 2004. There's no question that's been probably one of the greatest disappointments since expansion. Um, And I do think given the division Miami plays in, they are capable. This is a program that I think would be capable of competing for Coastal Division championships. But if you're Miami, it's not good enough competing for the Coastal and making it to the ACC championship. We already saw them do that a couple years ago against Clemson. They're no closer to Clemson now than they were uh, in 2017. I I think they could get there at some point, um, but I don't necessarily think that back then you would – decide we're not going to take Miami because in 10 years they're not going to be competing for national championships. I still think it was a good move for the ACC. And, and Andrea, I, I know this is a little off topic, but I'd, I'd be regretful if I didn't ask you this. I'd like to get your opinion. I, I, can we see a world where maybe they shuffle the deck with the divisions or do away the, with the divisions altogether? I, I look at a Coastal that's had seven different winners in seven years, and I see the benefits and I see the, the cons of that as well. Can, can we see that changing anytime? No, and we have explored this topic exhaustively on ESPN.com. I am completely in favor of removing divisions and just having a round-robin format. You maybe get uh, a couple of uh, rival games that you continue to play, and then at least everybody who comes to play in the ACC gets to compete against every ACC team uh, once in their careers. But here's the thing. If you're in the Atlantic you want to get rid of divisions, but if you're in the Coastal, you don't because of what you just said. You have a chance to win the Coastal division, um, and you want to keep it that way so you can make sure you get yourself into the ACC championship game. And so there is generally the last time they took this vote, which was several years ago, it was uh, Atlantic against getting rid of divisions or shuffling divisions and Coastal – I'm sorry, Atlantic wanting – uh, the coastal uh, wanting to keep divisions and the Atlantic being in favor of removing them. And there's now a, a rule in place um, that I don't think would allow them to do it anyway. So um, it's unfortunate because I would like to see divisions removed across the board from every conference, whether we're talking about the ACC or the SEC or the Big Ten because of the way some of the divisions are stacked. But I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. We're joined by Andrea Adelson, ESPN. Follow her on Twitter at A Adelson ESPN. And I guess we could rename the conference the uh, Andrea Coast Andrea Coastal Conference. I would like that. Andrea Coast <laughs> Conference, ACC. Yeah, I'll come up with something. I'll get back to you on that. So you're out okay. in the desert. You're getting ready for the Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State and Clemson. What is the number one matchup for you going into this game? 
Uh, it's probably the same as everybody else. Uh, Clemson's offensive line against uh, Chase Young and, and the front that Ohio State uh, brings to the table. And I know that's been talked about a lot uh, leading up to this game, but in talking to some ACC coaches, you know, one area they point to that they feel is maybe the most improved since the 2016 team, uh, which played Ohio State, is the offensive line. And if you're going to try and beat Ohio State, you have to be really good up front, especially if you want to try and limit Chase Young. So for me, uh, the fact that these ACC coaches believe that this line is more talented, more athletic, maybe bigger, faster, stronger than it was four years ago. We'll see if that bears out against the Ohio State team that is really playing extremely well and hitting on all cylinders. Obviously, it'll be fun to see what the quarterbacks do in this game. And another uh, matchup to watch would be Ohio State's DBs against Clemson's receivers because they haven't played anybody as athletic or talented or fast as Clemson. Uh, this season and you know that is probably one of the biggest question marks for me and I know you know it sounds like I have a regional bias here um, but when you're talking about a team like Ohio State you know that hasn't faced the type of athleticism and speed that Clemson brings to the table you wonder what those matchups are going to look like uh, and that to me is the great unknown about Ohio State uh, because they haven't played a team that quite looks like Clemson this year um, and, and and it's hard to match up against speed when you might not be able to uh, do it yourself. And so that's another one. So offensive line, I think Ohio State CBs against Clemson's receivers. But couldn't we also say that, though, for Clemson, I don't know that the Tigers have seen anybody even close to Ohio State this year. I, I went to the A&M game, and A&M, A&M was a great disappointment. And the rest, of the, the rest of the schedule was just overmatched. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. I, and uh, as I was, it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, well, you could probably say the same thing about uh, Ohio State with Clemson. And I think that's why this matchup is so intriguing, because when you look at just the balance that Ohio State brings to the table on offense, I, I was there for the Michigan-Ohio State game. And, and the most impressive player on the field to me, it wasn't Chase Young or Justin Fields, it was J.K. Dobbins, who I don't really think has earned the appreciation that he deserves. Same for Travis Etienne, quite honestly. Two guys that have really been under the radar this year at running back, but J.K. Dobbins is is a beast out there, and he's really hard to tackle, really hard to bring down. So when you have that powerful run game, which is what Ohio State had in this game four years ago, but now you match it up with a um, explosive passing game and a quarterback who can run, that presents quite a few challenges. And Clemson this year the strength has been in the back end and so to me one of the bigger challenges for Clemson is to be able to prove that they can shut down a powerful running game because they maybe aren't as good up front as they have been the last couple of years because of the way they had to revamp and losing some of the big name players that they had and I think that's going to be a big test for Clemson in this game as well Um, I think J.K. Dobbins is a big X factor for Ohio State a few more minutes with Andrea Adelson of ESPN. Andrea, I, I threw this out there yesterday. I would like to get your uh, your thoughts on it. I am of the mind that the Clemson Tigers are the biggest beneficiaries of the college football playoff, that no other team has gotten as much out of it. And I'm not talking about championships, but I'm talking about the opportunity to play for championships than any other program in America because if it didn't exist, if we had the old BCS system, I don't see Clemson being in the conversation, or rather they're in the conversation, but they're not in the top two, simply because of the up-and-down nature of the ACC. What's your thought? Yeah, well, if the BCS system was in place this year, Clemson would not be playing for a national championship. And so there's no doubt uh, that the playoff has benefited 
uh, Clemson, most especially this season, because uh, if you think about the way the BCS was structured, the computer element uh, was one-third of the component. And I'm fairly certain the computers would have downgraded Clemson for the strength of schedule that they played because strength of schedule was a major factor that some of the computer models used in their evaluation. So uh, if, if that was the case, even with the selection committee having them number three, you're absolutely right. They wouldn't be playing for a championship, and I think that would be a great loss for college football because as much grief as Clemson has taken this year, uh, I still feel like they're one of the best teams in the country. I think they're playing extremely well uh, right now. They're hitting the way that they always hit in November, and they're using all of the negativity that has surrounded them from the outside, from commentators saying they're not good enough because the schedule was bad as motivation and fuel. Now, whether that translates going into this game, that remains to be seen because Ohio State will obviously be the most difficult team that they've played this year. But uh, given the fact that the old BCS would have left them out, uh, I completely agree with you. Playoffs been great for Clemson. Can you imagine Dabo if the BCS system were still in place? <laughs> I, I mean, he would well, just yeah. be untethered. He would be just <laughs> off the hook. Well, we already got a small glimpse of that when they you know, got ranked number three and he started going off. So imagine what it would have been like. I honestly think he would have been politicking in early November when those first BCS rank, you know, when the first Cosmo rankings came out and they were five, I think he kind of kept it together because he knew it was only the first one. But as it had gotten towards the end of the season and Clemson was still on the outside, remember back in the BCS, I'll never forget this because I covered Florida back in 06. The politicking that happened between Ohio State, Michigan, and Florida to get in the national championship game here in Arizona, it started weeks before the season ended, and it, it finished after Ohio State beat Michigan because it was a close game, and everyone thought maybe there should be a rematch, and Florida saying, no, we should be in that game. Uh, I think that would have been taken to a completely different level uh, this year with Dabo and his penchant for speaking his mind um, and fighting for his team. We have been deprived, but it's to the uh, Tigers' benefits. She covers college sports for ESPN. You can follow her on Twitter at A. Adelson ESPN. Andrea, as always, it's been a pleasure. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you. Thanks for having me again. All right, appreciate it. It's Andrea Adelson of ESPN. And I, I love it. I'm sitting here just in my head, Dabo and poor little old Clemson. And imagine if she's right. Imagine if Clemson were number five in the BCS with all the computers and stuff, undefeated, has that one close victory at North Carolina, Dabo. <laughs> he, he would have been kissing babies and shaking hands and showing up at people's houses and doing everything he could to improve the Tigers' stock. By the way, Temple just missed a 42-yard field goal. North Carolina takes over at its own 25-yard line. Nine seconds to go in the first quarter. Tar Heels up 7-0. We'll keep you updated on that game. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans... They're always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody at another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Tar Heels taking a 7-0 lead into the second quarter of the Military Bowl. ESPN confirming that Antonio Brown has worked out for the New Orleans Saints. 
surely to goodness he wouldn't be able to play this weekend. <laughs> I mean, I, there has to be some kind of something, isn't there? Where do you have to be with the team for a week or something? Or I, I mean, that, That's a quick turnaround. It's 48 hours. Well, furthermore, the NFL is currently investigating him. There's for that several too. things, and that's not that hasn't concluded. Perhaps I can't the imagine, Justice Department. <laughs> I can't imagine the league's in too much of a hurry either. Is that so. still Tom Benson owns that team? Owns the Saints, I think. I don't know, but either way, they're they're going all in if this is true. So we're going to monitor that. It says right here they're working out with the wide receivers in case of injuries. So, oh, act like you got a pulled hamstring. I don't know. We're continuing to monitor that. We'll continue to monitor the military bowl. And we'll get ready for the pinstripe bowl in New York. Wake Forest, Michigan State. That's a 320 kickoff. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances. And I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Closing out our number one of the David Glenn Show on Friday. First and goal for the Tar Heels. They're on the uh, Temple six-yard line. Adam Schefter, he's been a busy guy. Now, he says the NFL has not concluded its investigation of Antonio Brown, uncertain when it will do so. But even after it wraps up, and I'm reading a tweet from Shefty, I don't know him, but I can call him Shefty, everybody else does. They said Brown could still face additional discipline, and the Saints are bringing him in for due diligence, not, not for Sunday's game versus Carolina. So we were deprived yet again of seeing quality play on the field. <laughs> Antonio Brown gets out there. Also, Darren, also Shefty. The Saints working out Antonio Brown. The Falcons bringing back Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrioff. We, we, we talked on that, so there's not going to be a change on the football side of things for the Falcons, at least not at the upper, upper level. And that the Falcons are naming Raheem Morris the defensive coordinator effective after this season. We remember him as the former head coach of Tampa Bay. Shefty, always working the phones. I think then he had like two phones. I think that's all feigned, right? Anytime they have him on set on ESPN, they're like, somebody somebody hands him their phone just to make him look busier. I don't think he actually has multiple phones. He makes me think of uh, the agent in the State Farm commercials with Aaron Rodgers, the, the guy who always acts like he's busy. I <laughs> got the headset, the Bluetooth thing. I, I, that would be that would be a good character for Shifty. And he wears those big ties sometimes. He, he, he's kind of yeah, backed a, off. He's got that. a thick knot on the tie, yeah. Isn't that out of style now? Yeah. Don Draper would not wear that tie, but I would, and we'll talk about it in hour two. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show.